Welcome to another episode of Destination Declassified, the channel that seeks to uncover the truth and resolve the mysteries on all things UFOs, aliens and conspiracies. For many, to encounter a UFO or communicate with extraterrestrial beings is something so bizarre and far removed from reality that one may simply laugh at the possibility or disregard it altogether. Skeptics have their reasons for this, and rightly so. However, there are those of us who have indeed seen or experienced the concept of alien technologies, and even engaged in communicative exchanges with such entities. With the recent release of multiple files from the United States government database surrounding unidentified flying objects and alien abduction, the question as to whether aliens exist is becoming less and less discussed. For those who are lucky enough, or in some cases cursed, the encountering of extraterrestrial intelligence is often a quick experience and difficult to comprehend in its aftermath. Yet very few of us have made it their life's work and ambition to continuously attempt contact and interaction with such interplanetary species, and is the basis for today's video. John Shepard, from Coarden, Michigan, has been cast into the spotlight with the recent release of a short Netflix documentary called John Was Trying to Contact Aliens, and has dedicated 30 years of his life attempting to contact those not of this world. In this video, we will look at the life and works of Mr. Shepard, and to what extent and toll his bid to connect with otherworldly figures took on his experiences and relationships here on Earth. We hope you enjoyed this episode as we delve into the fascinating life of John Shepard. John Shepard was born on September 9, 1951, in the small village of Bel Air, Michigan, and now resides in the more populated area of Coarden, 20 miles north of Traverse City. After enduring what must have been a difficult early childhood, Shepard's father would leave the family home not long after his mother gave birth, a separation that seriously affected his mother's relationship with her newborn son. Becoming emotionally distant from baby John, his mother eventually gave up on their family too, and so he was taken in by his grandparents to live and subsequently grow up, having very little contact with his mother thereafter. Luckily for Shepard, his grandparents were extremely supportive of their grandson and shared numerous interests that were consistently encouraged and allowed him to hone his skills. Shepard's grandfather was very much a hands-on person who worked with tools on a daily basis as a machinist in Detroit and enjoyed showing the ambitious young boy how to work with such materials producing and building machinery straight from scratch. His grandmother, Irene, whom Shepard had a wonderful relationship with, was ever gracious and interested in his fascination with the paranormal and aliens. Unfortunately, his grandfather would pass away some years later, but he would love and support his grandmother with everything he had until her death in 1998. When discussing his adoptive grandparents, especially Irene and her understanding of his interests, he would state, that she definitely had a feeling for it, and she brought a lot of inspiration into my life. At age 12, Shepard became aware of his inner feelings and realized that he was in fact gay, which as he explains in the Netflix documentary, summarizing his life, that in 1960s rural Michigan, being homosexual was rather difficult. And so with his innermost feelings pushed deep into the back of his mind, 
Shepard would turn his attention to television shows, such as The Outer Limits, to form a fascination with UFOs and extraterrestrials, a fascination that would span for more than 30 years. Through his interaction and obsession with aliens and other world technology, Shepard began to generate ideas on what was required to reach out to the cosmos and to those who dwelled within it. In 1972, at age 21, Shepard began construction of various mechanical structures within his grandparents' home, many of which were self-taught or under the guidance of his grandfather. As the constructions became larger and more significant in the technological standard of sending and receiving sound waves to outer space, as did the intrusion of space within the household. The equipment sourced from hardware and electrical stores in nearby Traverse City had morphed into the living room and dining room, much to his grandparents' carefree acceptance. By studying ham radio wiring and shamantics from the American Radio Relay League, Shepard recalls his earliest understanding of electronic manufacturing. In high school, I took an elective in electronics, a basic 101. When you're working with the equipment and actually getting certain results, you hit the ground running. As time progressed and the cost of materials increased, as did the purchasing of such equipment, which was funded by Irene. Before they knew it, Shepard's grandfather would watch in wonder as their sci-fi-obsessed grandson erected a two-story, 150,000-volt output stage in the back garden of their home. A dismantled ski lift helped to stabilize the monstrous framework, with the final pieces finishing off the redesigned living room, floor to ceiling and across one wall. The outcome of the reconstructed house resembled that of a NASA-based laboratory, and would be the base from which Shepard would extend his hand to the strangers of outer space. From the garden, transmission of music through high-frequency airwaves was sent above the clouds by the long-haired, bearded Shepard. Initial attempts were made using binary tone pulses on a small 150-watt transmitter to try and make sensory contact with the aliens, but this proved to be of no use, as the response was that of radio silence. Turning up the intensity was paramount, and so a second attempt was made using dual-channel oscillators, cathodo-ray tubes, giant screens to monitor incoming signals, as well as the aforementioned transmitter. This time, however, the signals were not pulsating noises, but music. Music from every part of the world that spoke an emotional, universal language, without the need for translation. A close friend of Shepard, a man named Mike Johnston, was able to provide him with a huge selection of albums from his parents' collection, which ranged from popular records to the charts, to the most extravagant classical music from just about every country in the world. Shepard and Johnston would transmit the sounds from the large array of records into the stratosphere for nearly 10 hours each day, and with the hope that someone, somewhere, was listening. The range of audio frequency became so wide that the certainty of reaching the vastness of space became very strong, much to Shepard's and his grandparents' delight. For the best part of each day, DJ sets featuring the likes of Kraftwerk, Cluster, Fela Kuti, Reggae Grooves, and jazz music from legends such as John Coltrane were shot into the sky. That Shepard notes, I felt the more genius forms of music offered something meaningful. It has to be something that inspires the mind and imagination. Rock music was another inspiration for the truth seeker, as this produced another set of ecstatic and robust emotions that he wished to convey to the extraterrestrial listeners of the cosmos. What is important to note at this point was that Shepard was still struggling with his own emotions and sexuality at the time, 
And so, one may have questioned his isolated existence as being rather concerning. This frankly was not the case for the young enthusiast, as the close relationship he had with his grandparents, as well as his few close friends, including Mike Johnston, was all that he ever needed. The sense of connection that he was now beginning to appreciate with the outer limits of Earth was now the biggest influence and inspiration in his life. As he recalls, looking for that next step, that brilliant breakthrough, the possibility of meeting one of these beings someday. His enthusiasm coupled with the funding from his grandmother's life savings allowed Shepard to deploy a 60,000 volt transmitter, which would beam his music sets far beyond the face of the moon, and would be the catalyst for his passion project known as STRAT, Special Telemetry Research and Tracking. The colossal transmitting device had to be assembled within a secondary building at his grandparents' property to cope with the sound, workspace, and sheer size of the machinery used to make his venture to the next level. With the eventual passing of Irene, Shepard had to sell the family home, but began doing odd jobs to fund the renting out of rooms from the beloved house to continue the storage and operation of his machinery. By now, Project Strat was not just a hobby, but a scientific art project in the sense of exploration, contact, communication, and the merging of materials which were built from scratch. Though not considered to be groundbreaking evidence, the apparatus which were packed into the household were able to pick up electromagnetic disturbances on certain occasions, particularly in 1972 and 1973. This proved that the gadgets and structures were highly active and capable of reaching whatever was out there. Shepard recalls the never-ending pursuit of data and the happiness he gained from using his equipment and handmade devices, stating, I never gave up exploring, even if I didn't get hard data. The quest was still there, the chance to do the exploring was always alive. Such determination was not as common at the time, nor were the acquiring of such devices to formulate a transmission system capable of contacting aliens from other planets, and so eventually, recognition would come his way. It began with a few reports from local and statewide news outlets, and small interviews which labelled Shepard as an artist and explorer, much to his satisfaction. However, some reports were not as favourable of his work and that of the Strat project, when they noted that there are no sponsors, no commercials, maybe even no listeners. Luckily for Shepard, the notoriety was not the end goal, and any claim to fame was quickly taken with a pinch of salt. In 1989, television came calling, and he was acknowledged and offered a spot on the Joanne Rivers show. The 15-minute segment on one of the nation's biggest programs at the time catapulted Shepard's name, work, and ambitions into the nation's screens, and gave him the opportunity to be recognized amongst two other famed ufologists. Holding his ground and undeterred by the lack of success that was addressed on the show or by his fellow guests, Shepard would compare himself to a struggling artist who doesn't sell paintings but continues to paint masterpieces. The search for intelligent life and hope of communication with interplanetary species continued for Shepard until 1998, when he was forced to dismantle his laboratory and pack everything into storage. Though his friends attempted to come to his aid and offer money when they could, ultimately the lack of finance would bring his life's work to a halt and compel Shepard to reassess his existence and the new directions offered to him. By the time Shepard's machines and technological materials were under lock and key, he had already found love in his life. He met his partner, John Le Trenta, in 1993, and although one may have been otherwise shocked or dismayed at the life he led, 
La Trenta was totally understanding and supportive of his partner's passion. Knowing quite a lot about science, and with the ever-growing sense that life on other planets was a reality, La Trenta assisted as much as possible, and allowed Shepard to accept the fact that he was in love. Both men now live together in a lakefront house in a quiet area of Michigan, which is how they prefer things to be. However, there would be another proposition of fame, when Netflix came knocking. Matthew Killip was first introduced to Shepard's work and projects when analysing a book on UFOs, cults, and those who were seeking contact with extraterrestrials, from a general perspective. Killip was a keen film editor, and had already worked on short films when he came across Shepard. He became adamant that he would pursue and produce a documentary-style biopic of the man from Michigan, who lived with his grandparents, and turned their quiet little house into a working laboratory. The short film directed by Killam was titled John Was Trying to Contact Aliens, and was dedicated to the memory of Shepard's grandmother Irene. Much to Killip and Shepard's delight and surprise, the 16-minute documentary won the Short Film Jury Award at the 2020 Sundance Film Festival, and was able to convey his story in a sympathetic yet entertaining manner. In the feature, Killip discusses Shepard's childhood, obsession with aliens and technology, as well as his close relationship with his grandparents and partner, John Latrenta. Interview snippets featuring both men are extremely touching, as is the storage facility scene, where Shepard wanders around describing his old machinery as the leftover pieces of thought. Now available worldwide, the documentary has cemented Shepard's name and attempts to reach entities not of this world for the foreseeable future. When asked how he felt after seeing his life's work and character portrayed on screen, Shepard couldn't help but admit that it brought tears to my eyes. So this is where this episode ends. In today's age of technology and the possibility to access the plethora of knowledge and information with just the click of a button, it's important to remember that things were not always so easy. As gadgets get smaller and smaller by the day, so does the appreciation for the efforts posed by those who lived and worked with such technologies from decades past. John Shepard was one of those people. Although he never produced groundbreaking evidence or engaged in full communication with those which we call aliens, perhaps providing them with examples of our emotions through the medium of music, or even just to let them know that we are here and listening, can be considered an achievement in its own right. For Shepard, it is delightful to know that he doesn't consider a second of his life's work as wasted, and that he was finally able to find love, peace and happiness in his life. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Destination Declassified. Take care, and we'll see you in the next video.